All right, Jeff Cohen, welcome to the show. Happy to have you on. Uh, you know, I think if you're listening to podcasts, tune in to how a show starts and it's going to tell you, did they have a good pre-show? Was there good prep before? We had that because we're just going to jump right in. I, Jeff, you shared with me something about your why, why you do what you do. And you shared, you actually are fostering at present, I think you said a three and a half year old. Is that correct? That's right. Coming just off the heels of reuniting a one and a half year old. Right. And if you're catching this episode on video, you might be pretty surprised by that because Jeff, you said no question is, is, uh, is, uh, out of bounds, but if you're watching a video, you might be surprised to see that my guest is fostering young children because he's certainly not of the age where that would be something that normal people do. Um, <laughs> not that you're not normal, but uh, Jeff, tell us, tell us why you're fostering kids and why uh, family is so important to you and what you so, do. So first off, I, I just want to say one thing first. So so people know like who I am and why that is even worth hearing, right? Yep. So I'm an entrepreneur and I have been my whole life, right? And when I was eight, I wrote all the professional sports teams and I got them to send me stickers, right? Oh, cool. And I got a, like a stack. It was, I, it, the screen isn't big enough to show you how, how many stickers I got. And um, my mom wouldn't let me put them up on my bedroom wall. And so I had to do something with them, right? There was a huge stack. So I put them on my notebook. And I went to school and then my friends started saying, hey, can I buy that one? Hey, can I buy that one? So at eight years old, I made 50 bucks selling stickers. And my dad <laughs> turns to me and he says, Jeff, if you want to control your life, keep doing that because yep. you're an entrepreneur. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's really cool. I want to control my life. What's an entrepreneur? And I've kind of been living that ever since. And I've had some real big ups and some enormously bigger downs. Uh, I'm the only person ever been called radioactive on Shark Tank. And um, <laughs> I, I can share that a little bit. But yeah. back to your question about Foster. So I, I worked for IBM a couple of times. I've worked with hundreds of Fortune 500 Global 2000 accounts over the years. Um, and you know, as an entrepreneur, everything I've always done is because I want to give my family a better life. I want to have a great life. I want to have freedom. I want to have success. I want to have love. I want to be able to love. I want to have the right relationships that have me, um, fulfilled. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, that doesn't always happen. And so I'm on a mission. And my mission is to create an environment for every parent that when they come home from work, the conversation around the dinner table is about all the fun they're having at work. Because that little munchkin that's growing up gets the opportunity to say, I'm either going to be shackled to a job or I'm going to do the stuff I love. And you don't have to be an entrepreneur to do the stuff you love. Right. You can do it in any job. So when you say, Jeff, tell me about being a foster parent. Well, I have two grown children and a granddaughter. I'm not that old, but okay, I'm not like 30 again and I'm not... Yeah, you're you know, not starting out your family. Right, but I was at a meeting and there's an author I love. His name's uh, Jeff Gittimer. He wrote the number one sales book of all time. And yeah. he and I have had dinner a couple of times. And um, I remember the first time I met him, he, he had been talking about his daughter. I thought, oh, you know, Jeff's a little older than me. I figured, oh, well, he's got grown children. Yes, he does. And then there was a three-year-old. And he started talking about how they go to Paris and how they do this. And I'm like, wow. Well, that's interesting. Would I be open to that? And in my second marriage, my wife, who's never been a mom, she said, no, I want that. I would love that. Would do? Are you open? I'm like, yeah, sure. I love being a dad. You know? And it wasn't so that I could fill all the gaps that existed when I raised my two boys. 
And I created a lot of gaps. Yeah. But what I really got to was I've always gone after my dreams. Sometimes not to the benefit of others. And I will tell you, when it's not to the benefit of others, it absolutely had not been to my benefit either. Right. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. When you lose sight of that, it, it feels like you're doing good work. It feels like it's righteous, but it doesn't bring anybody in and it's, it almost repels those closest around you, right? Not almost. Does. It does. It, yeah. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I said to you in the pre-show, you can ask me anything and I will yep. just flat out straight with you. I had a business I grew from nothing to 50 people in about two years. We were on an eight-figure run rate. We were killing it. And in 2007, we were going to renew all of our contracts. And these were with like Fortune 500 Global 2000 accounts. We had done right. just about 100 of them at the time. Um, and we went to the first one and they said, hey, we love you guys. You're amazing. We couldn't be doing this work without your help. You're fired. And we're like, oh, okay, should we go after number two? <laughs> and we had the same story 10 times. Oh, wow. And now, now what, what was that business? What, what industry is that? So we were a, um, on the forefront of agile software development process. Okay. And our company helped to create the process and deliver software in an agile, in an agile way. And, you know, big companies, some of our accounts are like Kaiser Permanente, State of California, Bank of America, Countrywide was there when they were around, Wells Fargo. Like, you yeah. know, just large yeah. big, government. Big, big organizations, big companies. And in 2007, you might remember, there was this little meltdown we had in the financial community. Right. And right. every single one of our accounts just put everything on hold. Mm. And it was for an indefinite period. And I went from having a team of 50 to a team of zero in about six months. Wow. And yeah, that's, uh, that's rough. It was. And now as an entrepreneur, because I know some people have lived through this, when you're going through that and you're wondering, can I make payroll next week or this week or tomorrow? Yep. It creates a lot of sleepless nights. Yep. And one thing that happened to me at the time is I wasn't thinking straight. You know, if you don't get enough rest and it's not good rest, you stop thinking clearly. And I became very depressed and I just, I just gave up. I just would sit on the couch for hours every day watching Star Trek, just looking to escape. And it did no good for anyone. In fact, what it did was it pushed my wife and kids away. And when I finally got divorced and my kids wouldn't talk to me for two years, it really just killed me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, definitely, uh, definitely been down that road of failure. And, uh, but that was 15, 16 years ago now. Is that right? Yeah. Thereabouts. Yeah. It was, um, it was a dozen years ago, roughly, give or take. And, you know, it sucks. Like those are the things that suck in life. And what would I do different? A lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. But so, along with, go ahead. Yeah. So let's, let's kind of bring the journey back to, um, uh, close the loop on the fostering aspect of things. So you were inspired by Jeffrey Gittimer. Your your second wife was like, oh my gosh, you're open to starting a family that maybe not, yeah, I don't want to get into your personal marriage life. I think that's a question we can leave unasked. But but you 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 know, so so you come together and you're like, okay, what's the opportunity for us to have like family 2.0, right? Sure. Um uh so so you bring in you connect to a foster network. Talk about that. Well, so my wife and I are, you know, part of organizations that really care about people, right? Yep. And we've been doing a lot of work on ourselves for years. And, you know, part of that is like being around people that have fostered and adopted through fostering. And we actually were the catalyst for some of our friends to do that. And finally, when it came time for us, we went through the training, we got approved, we started, you know, the engine, right? Mm -hmm. And we had our first foster daughter show up 
And she was two years old and just a beautiful little girl. And um, two days later, there was a family member that stepped up and said, no, we're not going to let her be in foster care. And so they, they came and took her back. Oh, right. So we got a sense about what the system's about, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then a week later, we got a phone call about this eight-month-old girl. She had been in a situation that sucked, and they, uh, the court decided to remove her from that. And we took her at eight months, and she was not um, strong. Like She could barely lift her head. She couldn't roll over. There were things like that. Mm. And, um, and my wife was out of town when she showed up. <laughs> so here I am at home. Yeah. This eight month old baby brings me an eight month old and says, here you go. And is, is there with me to make sure like I'm okay. Right. Right. So the first thing I noticed is a poopy diaper. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you that have had kids in my first marriage, we had an agreement, which was. You do the kids and I'll make sure we have money. And mm -hmm. so my wife and I had this separation. So I did very few diapers. And this time I said, no, that's not the way it's going to go. And I like immediately changed her diaper in front of the social worker, had everything all set up and just really got, there was a level of intimacy I missed with my sons by yeah. not doing things like change a poopy diaper. Yeah. And, um, we just really took it on for eight months. And the amazing, amazing thing about what occurred, Jeff, is before she went back to her mom, she was running. Um, she was what? I'm sorry? She was running. Oh, wow. Like she wasn't walking. She was running. That's fantastic. Like a week before we turned her over, she actually got the courage to let go and run. Yeah, that's incredible. And, you know, just, it, it just totally filled us up. Like, okay. And by the way, we created a relationship where the mom loves us. And now this little girl has two moms and dads. Oh, like, fantastic. We're seeing what a her. fantastic story. Like we're still seeing her. And, and now we have a three and a half year old that came to us a month before she was reunited. And, you know, you never know what that situation is going to be, but there is just nothing like having a child in your arms, squeezing your head off. Yeah. Like so hard, right. And taking them to swim lessons and doing all of that and making the time to do it. Yeah. And yep. that's where everyone talks about having balance in their life. No, there is no balance. Yeah, no you're balance is... in over here. You're hundred percent in over there. It's no, there's no 50, 50. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would just interject there. I, I challenge everybody to think about balance when the scales of balance are perfect. The outcome is zero. There you go. And it, even in your marriage or other main relationship, right? If you're both 50-50 and that's all you're putting in, that's not the experience you want to have. Yeah. Yeah. Go 100 on each side. Right. You want to be 100% in. Listen, sometimes, like yesterday, I was 130% in because my wife found a baby squirrel and her brothers that fell from 40 feet and the nest was on the ground and they were injured. Yeah. And I just stopped everything while she needed to work. And I picked up our child from school and took her to the squirrel rehabilitation. Um, and like, like you do stuff like that. Right. When you're a hundred percent in, because yep. it's important to your partner. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I mean, just incredible what you're doing there uh, on a personal level and really a, a societal level um, to, to impact that life, because it's not just that life you impact of that little, the first daughter that you, I mean, it wasn't your, your first daughter. I don't know, just the first mm -hmm. example, first story you shared. But, um, you know, you didn't just change her life. You changed her mother's life. It seems like there's a, a, a biological father or a new gentleman in the life. You know, that's three lives right there. But then what will they go on to do and continue to do in this world? And that's really like, for me, what I like to do, the impacts that I like to have 
that's that I just love it. I mean, like for me, one of my whys is all about uh, kind of getting involved in our education system because the generation behind us is important and showing kids that, you know, education as it is today may not be the answer for everyone as it's purported to be. So skills and careers could be could be a career. It could be a, a stop off. It could be a moment. But having skills that are employable skills, scalable skills, skills that could lead you into owning a business. Like I have a photo in my downstairs office at my desk. It's my son's uh, career center graduation, the arena where they had graduation. The floor was only half full. Uh, and my goal by the time my freshman in high school graduates high school is to get a picture where that arena is filled with graduates wow. locally. That'd be um, amazing. Yeah, because listen, there are, you know, for some of those kids, their families, you know, if, if a child can graduate into an HVAC program or a welding program, they may very well graduate and be making more money than mom and dad have ever done combined. No, you're right. And, I, and they I have skill to grow. A hundred percent. Yep. So I love it, man. I you. love what you're doing. Uh, I love you. the focus. So let, let's take a left turn to uh, Radioactive Town. So you're on Shark Tank, right? So tell us how you get there and who called you radioactive and why? So, so there I was on my couch avoiding the world. Mm. This is 2007-ish, thereabouts, our, or there, a little thereafter? Yeah, this was as I'm shutting a business down, right? Yep. And a friend of mine didn't call. He just came over because he knew where I was in my yeah. head. And he came over and the one thing I had been doing that brought me a little happiness at the time was I was making these energy bars. My kids liked them. I liked them. I made them. He came over and he stood me up and he said, Jeff, give me some of those to bring to work. So I said, sure, here you go. <laughs> the next day he calls me up and goes, Jeff, you got to come down here. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, they want to buy them. I'm like, really? They want to buy my energy bar. Now I'm a software company. I'm shutting down. Here I am now selling food. Right. Anyway, I started selling energy bars to 20 TV shows and movies on the Warner Brothers lot. And just one thing led to another. And we were in Whole Foods and we were just blowing up. Oh, wow. Yeah, right? I mean, who'd have, who'd have yeah, thought? You, you just kind of went from, you know, I'm on my couch. Life is not great. Friend says, hey, come sell energy bars little half step to it, uh, you know, you get in at the studio and then boom, we're in Whole Foods blowing up. So maybe, right. maybe we'll get back to that little part of the journey, right. but let's, let's continue. So, so my sister who became my partner in the venture said, Jeff, she was in real estate at the time, which, you know, got demolished. Yeah. That was a rough time too. There's this new show coming on. I want you to audition. I'm like, sure. I'll audition. What the heck? Right. And uh, they loved the product. They loved the story. Um, and they invited me on the very first season. Um, for those of you that might go and look it up, it's episode five, because in episode six, there's another Jeff Cohen. Uh, but I'm on Shark Tank and I'm sharing with them how great we're doing. Um, and then why did you get in the food business? I said, well, I had a software company and I told the story about how it failed and I went bankrupt. Kevin O'Leary steps up and says, Jeff, I really respect what you're doing. It's really great. Um, but you made a choice to go bankrupt and you'll never get a bank. So to me, you're radioactive. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> like that, right? Like, where'd that come from? Right. You know? Right. And Kevin and um, Robert Herkovic stood up like right then and said, Kevin, you don't do that. The measure of a man is not how many times you fall. It's how many times you get back up. Yeah. It's a get back up story. Yep. By the way, we didn't get funding. And what occurred is we were the very first show they ever did a success story on in season two. Oh, neat. Okay. So they'd never done a success story until us. Interesting. Because we landed Safeway and had a national rollout and they came to fill the production and rollout. 
Very cool. Very cool. Well, so where, so, so is the energy bar company still going? What, what, what ended up with that? There's no food in the enter- in the in the food. Bu- There's no money in the food business. No food. There's plenty of food in the food <laughs> business. Just not a lot of profit. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I learned a lot of lessons. Yeah. One which is um, when it's time to go make money again, you should do that. And so I contacted a former uh, manager of mine, a great leader uh, from IBM, Pam. I love you today, still Pam. Um, and she reconnected me with the team and I started making real money again and got right back into working with, um, oh, there we go. Oh, you found the update. There you go. This is why it pays to have a great production team for your podcast. This is my my time to shout out cast ahead and, uh, and, uh, Chris Stone and his team. By the way, man, I mean, uh, looks like you've taken your, your physical health serious in the last handful of years. So, um, you look, uh, you look very healthy. Thank you. I, um, I have good for you 80 pounds and, um, I am, you know, ecstatic to be in good shape and good health and like, take it seriously. And, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just loving watching this video. I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, really? That was me. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the takeaway, if you're watching this, you're listening to this, when, you know, our shows, Jeff, in case you didn't know, so we, we broadcast live. Well, you know this, we broadcast live on the social yeah. media channels and, and then it hits up, it hits the players Mondays thereafter. So pays it, you know, because we produce a great show and we really do. And that's not me patting myself on the back. That's the team I work with that does it. Um, it does pay to check in on what we're doing on video. Um, but I think the lesson here. Whether, however you're taking this episode in is don't be married to your thing where you allow it to destroy your life. You know, yeah, your bankruptcy, I'm sure, was probably one of the hardest or harder things you've ever gone through in your life. It, it is for everybody. It's, an, it's, it's a moment of time in which, you know, bankruptcy is a, probably an alternate word for failure. If you, you know, if you dig down the thesaurus long enough. Um, society views it as a terrible thing. Uh, you know, you get put in a box, you get put in a corner as O'Leary did to you, which is just so hilarious because I don't know this like fact, but my guess is with the amount of businesses he's been involved in, there's been a bankruptcy or two. Um, and, and, and maybe, you know, maybe likely done intentionally. Um, but, uh, be that as it may, the point is don't, don't be so married to the thing. Like, like you said about granola gourmet. Hey, it's a great business. You can scale, you can have national accounts, but gee whiz, the profit's just not there. You know, yeah. and you, and you understood your time is valuable well, and you can, it, you can produce more with it to do more greatness with it. You can. And, you know, here's the thing I think a lot of us entrepreneurs get hung up on. Um, my sister, that was her first business. Mm-hmm. That she- in and she worked her ass off. I will just tell you, my sister Nancy is an amazing, amazing resource, and she is like the Energizer Bunny Rabbit, and so connected and so hardworking and so just successful in her own life. But you get attached to your business. Yep. And there's a moment in time when you get to choose to leave with resources. So you can do the next thing yep, or go down with the ship. And it does nobody any good to go down with a ship. Um, The very best coaching I got when I was going through all that was, Jeff, put as much money as you can aside for you and your family. You're going to need it right now. And we did. Mm -hmm. Um, And... The, um, the being attached to the business had me run the software company probably a little longer than I should have. Yep. Um, well, the same thing occurred for my sister with the energy bar company. She, she didn't want to let go. So even like six months after I had taken a new job at IBM, she was still trying to keep it alive. And finally I had to sit down with her. I said, Nancy, it, it kills us to stop something. Yep. There's yeah. not 
there's no one that's going to buy this business the way that it is. And you're killing yourself by not moving on. Yep. And, you know, it, it took two months for her to really accept that. And that was two months longer than I'd have liked to have seen it. And she came to grips with it to move on. So, you know, it's, it, listen, it sucks to shut something down. I'd much rather sell it. At least there were some assets I was able to sell with my software company. Right. 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 But, um, I will just say this to anybody that's going through any of that. Fail as fast as you can. Amen. 100%. Because yep. the faster you fail, the more resource you'll have to do the next thing you're dreaming of. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we're in a time right now. Um, so I'm in a, involved in a business owner, entrepreneur, uh, network mastermind group. Fantastic, fantastic top level business owners. And a couple of them are involved in finance and, you know, funding opportunity, kind of not like an equity bank, but, you know, they, they sure. have deep financial resource, deep financial connection and talking with them. And they say right now there's a massive opportunity to snack, snag up over leveraged businesses yeah. because of, you know, your, your economic injury disaster loans that were handed out. Um, a lot of businesses. Uh, took on those uh, credit card processing loans where you take a loan against your daily receivables. Right. And, you know, all of that was great in 21 when we were kind of in this fever dream of a society where everybody was spending money. But once, once everybody was no longer wealthy because money stopped being deposited into their account, things change quickly. And, well, uh, it, it's and, a huge issue. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a, you know, the, the number one mistake I made with my software company was I viewed the people we had on our team because we were a services organization primarily yep. as so important that I kept people on longer than I should have if they were unproductive. Yep. Um, and what that led to was me refinancing my house every year to get another $100,000 out to Ooh. make payroll. Yeah. Right. So part of that bankruptcy was, oh, I actually don't have any equity in this million dollar house because I took <laughs> it all out for the business. Right. And I had a partner that did the same thing. Like it was stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And you I mean, operating business on the money you're making. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. Don't leverage your family's future like that. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. That's boy. That's a, that's a, that's a rough peel back in the layer of that past failure um, when you when the dust all settles and you're like oh crap I still now I have a million dollar mortgage a million dollar liability on this house uh, through different you know different loans or whatever it might have been um, you know it's interesting you talked about uh, you kept people on longer than necessary because in the one business that I own I have a number of, of things that I'm involved in the one is a, a retail business. We've, we're having this conversation about growth, about do we add more on the payroll? And uh, I think this is another, this is a right turn now to what you're doing with your count onable mindset. Your book is called Count Onable. Um, one of the principles that you believe in is about building an organization of leaders. And, you know, internally, a dialogue we just had yesterday afternoon about three o'clock was, was about, we're not going to add on to the organization now. We're going to dig deeper into the people we have and make them leaders of their own little ecosystem in the company and really enable them to run it as, you know, as we've taught them, as we guide them, as they see, take some, take some added initiative, uh, as opposed to just adding more people, right? Because it's a, you know, we're in an interesting time. We always take an optimistic outlook. We always continue to work, but we're not foolish. So let's dig in about building an organization of leaders. Well, um, yeah, let's, let's take a look at something because you said a word that um, is on my list. So I have a list of four-letter words. Uh-oh. And yes, they're your standard, FS, all of that, right? Yep. Um, but these are words that are disempowering. By the way, they're not all four letters. Um, but you said the word make. Make our people leaders. You don't make anybody anything. 
Interesting. They, gotta, okay. they actually have to choose to own that that's who they are. Yep. As, as the leader, Jeff, you and your partners um, and other managers and leaders on your team, you have the opportunity to create an environment that supports the ability for people to take ownership, right? Um, and what often happens is I hear people wanting to make their people accountable. So where I got started with all of this was um, I, um, I really took on, when I decided to move into uh, business coaching, took on accountability like that was the thing. And I got 50 CEOs together to look at like what was working and not working in their business. And we, we really very quickly honed in on accountability. And what we noticed right away was that people, it wasn't that people um, weren't being accountable. It's that there was an underlying missing ability for people to understand what was needed. And that is because, you ready? Here it is. The number one thing, this is where you can hear a pin drop. Everybody has a different definition of effective communication. Yep. Think about that for a second. For some people, you say something to them and they say, I got it. And you're fine. Like they have it. They're going to go do it now. Right. Yep. For other people, they, they'll say, okay, so what you want me to do is X, Y, Z. And you say, yes, I do. And then other people are going to say, you want me to do X, Y, Z. And the result you're looking for is this. Right. So like there's just a different way people interpret communication as effective or not. And what we do as leaders is and this is rampant. There's not a single person I've talked to that doesn't do this. And sometimes they don't intend to, but they still do it. Hey, Jeff, you're accountable for washing the laundry. You didn't say it was something you wanted to do. You just got given that task. Right. And what's missing in that conversation is, is it a strength of yours? Are you any good at it? Right. Do you like doing it? Right. You have no idea. But when we hire people, because this is where it starts, we hire them from their resume and their past. And you hire people, Jeff, so you may have done this, may not, yep. but common, a common thing that we do when we hire people is we're in that final interview, getting ready to offer them the job. And then we say, Hey, we think you're going to be great. They say, yes, I know I'm going to be great. You're about ready to make the offer. And then you say, by the way, can you do the laundry for us too? Now, what do you think they're going to say? Yeah, they're going to say, sure. But the reality is they really don't want to do it. You don't know. Maybe yeah. they love doing it. Maybe it's their favorite thing, but you've just not had that conversation before. And what you've actually done is you've just given the A player that was hired for A jobs, you just gave them a B job. Yep. And they're going to begin disappointing you from day one. And then at some point, they may become a B employee and decide, I think I'm going to leave. Or you may decide yeah. it's time for them to go. Yep. And what's missing is the management of how you align people and work. I love that. How you align people and work. Yep. Love, that's, love that. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's really the fundamental basis of what Count Donable the book is. Mm -hmm. And I just want to be clear about one thing. When I talk about the laundry, my wife has actually come up to me and said, Jeff, I need you to be Count Honorable with the book, <laughs> with the laundry. Yep. Now, just want everyone to know that's the opposite of what I'm getting at Because <laughs> that's not empowering to me at all. Right. Empowering would be, I go to her and say, honey, 
you can count on me to do the dishes and mop the floor, but you can't count on me to do the laundry. And if you have people that are comfortable in your organization to do it, to do something like that, what it means is you actually set up an environment where there's not a penalty zone where people say they can't do something. Right. I like that. Yep. Yeah, I like that. Um, so we, I titled the show, Leaders Are Not Accountable, which is almost like a misnomer, right? It's a, it's a statement of uh, confusion. Like, what? What do you mean leaders aren't accountable? And I did that because I felt it was a good, a good way to present your idea of count onable. So let's take a step back. Where did this whole concept come from? If leaders are not accountable, then why are they count onable? Well, so one thing. There's one leader that is accountable. That's the person that had the idea to start the business or took it on as CEO. And they know they've got people to report to. They know all of that. The very first person that you bring into your business or anybody else that's in the business, they're all looking for how they can contribute to have the business succeed, right? But the minute you try and force people like the entrepreneurial operating system or scaling up do or other systems, yeah. like they all say, you've got to make your people accountable. But there's no power in that. Forcing people to do anything sucks. And last time I heard the word accountable was last night on the news when someone was going to jail and they were being held accountable. Right. So why would employees want to be accountable? Right. But people take tremendous pride in saying, you can count on me. Yep. And all that's missing, depending on the size of your organization, is how much specialty you can have. In smaller organizations, you do need people to take on things that are not necessarily their top things. Right. And there's a way right. to have that occur where they're empowered in that area. Um, but leaders, um, leaders can create an ownership mindset in others by treating them and calling them leaders. You know, the word boss really sucks. Gino Wickman wrote a book, How to Be a Better Boss. I love Gino Wickman. I love what he stands for, but there's two concepts I don't agree with. One is the concept about making people accountable and the concept about the word boss being a word that elevates people. Because the right. last time I checked, if you had a boss, it's usually because you're being micromanaged or being bossed around. Yeah. And people hate that. Yep. Yeah. So, 100%. yeah. So there's the, the concept of leaders being accountable. Um, yeah. One is, but everybody else is enrolled. Mm -hmm. And when you're enrolled, it's a whole different story. I think you're, uh, producers coming up to the clip. Yeah, go ahead and play that first two yes. seconds of that clip. That's a fun... Uh... Yes. There's a lot more than that behind that, but really, that's what happens. People right. hide. They hide. And when they hide out, it, um, it does your business no good. You really want to align the tasks, roles, um, and actions that your people do with what you, the leader of the company, has said, these are my goals and ambitions and desires and the dream that everyone's buying into. When you're able to do that, now you have people that can get behind you. Yeah. Now you have people that are excited and know that, hey, look, if I can't do the laundry and I can't fold the baby clothes in six folds the way my wife wants them to, maybe there's someone else, like my wife in this case, that's really great at that. And I can set her up for success there, right? So Count Audible is a process. And by the way, it's, it's fully divulged in the book. Like go in um, and it says, Here's step one, and there's a three-page chapter on it. Here's step two, there's a three-page chapter. In fact, every chapter in the book is three or four pages long, so you can read it in five minutes. Yeah, and, yeah, very cool uh, setup. Yeah, well, and there, a lot of them are stories about me and why I wrote the book in the beginning, 
Like the very first chapter is Grand Theft Auto. About a time I stole a car. And you can just download it off of my website. Yep. And I got out of that the thing that is my number one trigger. And when you trigger me like this, Jeff, what'll happen is I'll waste 20 or 30 minutes of your time telling you why I didn't do something and all yeah. the other great things that I've done, right? And we all have employees that'll do that. Instead right. of saying, listen, it's really not my bag. Can you get someone else to do it? But I'll right. waste three or four weeks before you get there. And you don't want that. You just want to know, like, can I count on this resource or not? Right. So right. what are you writing software that will help people align the roles and tasks and strengths and capabilities that they have for a task? So you can stop wasting weeks on tasks that don't get done. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, listen, as, as, a, as a leader of a business, that's the most frustrating thing that you can have in your day is when people, and I love how you use the word enrolled, you know, when they're, when they're not enrolled, when they're not on board, when they're not aligned with what the mission and the reason is for this business to exist, what the dream is. If it's not their dream, if they can't contribute to the dream, if they can't play a role in that dream, yeah, that's where those tasks pile up for three, four weeks. They get done. If they get done, they're done loosely. They're done halfway, if at all. Um, I mean, is this really about, isn't the goal of Count Honorable about eliminating, you know, the distrust in the workplace, in the business, the misalignment? It is. And what I found is a very simple process to do that. So, so there's two, there's three frameworks in the book, right? There's the trust framework, there's the alignment framework, and then there's the trust alignment framework, which brings the two together. And when you look at alignment, what you're looking at is you have a leader's vision, there's some priority actions, and then you've got an effective mechanism for communication. And the book actually, says these are the words to say. This is how you know it's effective. Yeah. Because if you're communicating from what the outcome is and what you want, that's a much different experience than if you're communicating from the fact that you know you're right and you want someone to do it a certain way. Right. Which generally is interpreted as micromanagement. Mm -hmm. Right? So you can either be right or you can create a leader by saying, this is the outcome that I want. How do you want to get there? Yep. Right? And they get enrolled in that. Now, when you go to that second route and you start giving them some power to choose and make their own mistakes and um, power up their skills and abilities, it's a much different experience than when you're telling people, do it this way. This is the way it's always been done. Well, what if I found a more effective way? Can I do that? No, it's this way. Right. You know, people get resigned when you do stuff like that to them. Yeah. One of the things that I've always brought to the teams that I work with is about communicating the outcome. And I say, look, there's a way that I would do it. And there's a way that you would do it. Here, here's what I'd love to see happen in between when we get to the outcome is for you to take ownership of this, for you to lead your, your area, your role, whatever your, your part of it is. If we make a mistake, fine. Just be able to, let's have a conversation where where you can say, here's how I thought this would go. Yeah. Here's what I saw happening. And here's why I think it didn't go the way I thought it would. And as long as there's that thought process, okay, we'll move on. Like, it's, it's like what we do, I, I've had a saying for years, any business, I don't know about you, uh, I've, not, I've never had a business launching rockets like nuclear weapons or curing cancer. So okay. it's, just not, it's just not that serious. Right. Yeah. Like, like the world isn't looking for our defense and it's not looking for me to defend it. And the world isn't looking for me to cure cancer. So what I do is just not that serious. So it doesn't, it doesn't beg, uh, you know, a conversation or an outcome where somebody just feels beat up on where they hate working where they work now. So I want to stop you for one second and share something because you just hit a nerve for me. Uh oh. Um, so I'm diabetic. I have been for 30 years. Um, when I married 
when I started dating my second wife, my current wife, who I love dearly, um, she said, Hey, you know, my uncle, he invented insulin. I'm like, really? Wow. Curious. What it, you know, are, are you sure like that, that he, yeah, no, no, really. So I met him and we started talking. By the way, the most humble, genuine guy you would have ever met passed away this year. Oh, um, sorry to hear. The world is sorry to hear. Yeah. Because what he did 30, 40 years ago was he identified the protein that made it possible for artificial insulin to be created. And what I never knew until his obit came out was he had donated $330 million to the city of Hope. His name is Art Riggs. And oh, Art wow. was the billionaire next door. Yep. He lived a very modest life. He was very humble. The impact that Art had on diabetes and cancer and other diseases has helped billions of people in the world. Yeah, 100%. And when you say that what you do is not that big, I will just tell you, Art would have disagreed. Okay. Yeah, appreciate so that challenge back. Art would have disagreed is because what we all do as business owners and business leaders is that important to the people that work with us and their right. families. Right. Now, I told you, my stand is that every parent comes home from work loving what they do so their kids can dream about the great life they're going to create. And yeah. their yeah. family. Art yep. did that. He created that possibility. And we owe it to our teams. We owe it to our friends to enable them that opportunity. And there's never anything that you will do that's not that important to someone else. Right, right. Yeah, no, I love it. And I should probably clarify this statement. Um, I, I say it in the way of, look, we're not launching rockets or curing cancer here to, to say what we do isn't important and that what we do doesn't change lives. It's more through the lens of, look, if you make a mistake, you know, somebody isn't going to die. Nothing's going to blow up, right? Um, that, that's really, I guess, more where I come from there. If we make a mistake, we own it. We figure out why it happened. And again, as long as, as long as there was thought in it, it, it's, it's not always, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like for me, to me, that's how I love leading those around me and being with those around me. To yeah. create that thinking and that thought process and that ownership within Freedom. the organization. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And by the way, you know, if you asked Art how many mistakes he made, he couldn't tell you. But Thomas Edison made one light bulb that mm -hmm. worked and a thousand that didn't. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. you know, I, I, that's a great point, Jeff. Thank you for bringing that up because... And, and by the way, thank you for giving me an opportunity to really pay tribute to art because... Oh, you're welcome. Like, like, this is what I love about this medium. And, and, you know, we do a podcast in our retail business where we bring the community in, charities that are doing good, um, you know, to kind of deposit back into the community we do business with, right? Because we don't just strafe and take from the community. We want to create... We use our platform, our dollars to give back. And... uh so that's, that's awesome. But like, that's why I love this medium because I get to meet the family of the guy that developed insulin and touched billions of lives and will continue to do so. It's fantastic. And you'd have, and you'd have never known it. Like nope. the most extravagant thing he ever did in his life was always drive a new Lexus. Like that was, okay. that was his treat. That was the treat. Like that was, yeah. and yeah. by the way, when I went to meet, meet all the people he worked with, like, he was just loved. And when we leave this earth, that's the way we want to leave it with the right. impact and the love and remembering, listen, no one's going to give a crap that I went bankrupt, but they are going to care that I created the environment where people live richer, fuller lives that they love. They'll yeah. remember that. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I love it. Well, listen, as we approach the top of our time together, I want 
because of what you just shared, the environment you create where people can be inspired and love what they do, have better families. Um, I think we would be, do a disservice uh, to, the, to the world of fostering if we didn't share how people get started. Because I think, you know, the hardest part in anything is the start, right? Yeah. So people may have an extra bedroom. They may have resources. They may have thought about it, but they just, you know, they, they decide to write a check to the dog rescue. They write a check to, to a foster, you know, charity. But I know from the, a lot of work I've done in the animal rescue space is the bodies, the homes, the kennels are, are super important. So. How do people get started there? And then we'll touch on how to get in touch with you and count on sure. But what's that start look like for to be a foster family? Well, first off, there's several entry points. I'm going to speak to Los Angeles County where we live. Yeah. Um, but I've talked with people in different parts of the country that have shared their experience and where they start. So um, in LA, there's a Department of Family and Children's Services. Mm -hmm. And that's an entry point where you can work directly with them. Um, my wife and I found also a slew of great um, agencies that do more than just DCFS does. And they actually support you um, a lot, very closely on your journey to getting approved. So I would invite you, like, go and meet with a couple of agencies. Yeah. Um, see what their process is and what they need. Make sure there's a good match for you with the social workers that you would be meeting with every week, right? Yep. Um, and, you know, learn, you know, just, just learn. Like, you know, you've got to get CPR um, certified. You've got to this certified. You need, you know, there's a bunch of forms. You got a little paperwork to do. It's okay. Right. Uh, you have ongoing training. Like, that's okay. But what you what is decide what it is you want? Like, do you want the opportunity to just make sure kids have a safe environment that they can grow up in? Do you want to have a child that you can bring to adoption? Do you want to be there for parents that are going through a really, really rough time and they just are unable to take care of their child? Like maybe they're living in their car. I have a right. friend that has has a foster son. Mom lives in her car. Like, mm. to what degree do you want to be part of that? And it's yeah. really tough because you you got to know, like, if you've got to be all the way in with your heart. Yeah, yeah. And it hurts to separate. Oh, 100%. I mean, it's, it's in no way on the same level, but it's <laughs> like for animal rescue for us, as a family, we've been able to bring dogs in and see them go. That's where we... You know, we're kind of like that friend where you have the the mom in the car and the child's in a safe home with a roof over their head and a kitchen right. and dinners and meals, right? Um, like that, like we're okay to see them move on. Actually, we pride ourselves on that. Yeah. Um, you know, but that's not for everybody because the heart just can't, you know, not everybody's heart can take that. They get the emotions are involved. So I love that you touched on that. It, you know, and if you are that person that can do that, boy, I would imagine the foster space. That's, um, I'll just tell you, it's in needed. my experience, uh, like among the most rewarding things that I've done for me to be able to see the transformation that, that we create where we have them with us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, as entrepreneurs, isn't that what we do? We create things. We do. And, and you know, what a great thing to create. Absolutely. Well, I want you to think about it. Like you create something at home. You also create something in your business. It's a culture, mm -hmm. right? Yep. You either have a culture that people want to be in or when they don't want to be in, right? Yep. So I would just invite everybody, you know, look at your home space and create a culture where everybody wants to be there. Look at your workspace. And if the culture has people leaving, because right now 50% of our workforce is actively looking for another job. Yep. Um, that's out of a McKenzie report from J July. Uh, but if that's the space, then it's time to really take another look at your culture and yeah. create one where it's performant and people love doing what they do. Yep. Well, and uh, 
as you see on the screen and you can see in the show notes, um, you can get Jeff's book, Count Onable, which is a, would be a great place to start. And I love that you applied it to the home because I'm sure what you read in those pages can directly translate to that home as you've done with the laundry example with your wife. Um, you know, uh, you know, you can, you can replicate it at home. You can replicate it at work. You can probably replicate it in your friendships and, and in the way you give back to the community you serve and do business at. Uh, so if you're looking for that start, it's a great place to go. Jeff, how else do people connect with you? What's the, what's the best way to pipe into the greatness of Jeff Cohen? Well, thank you, Jeff. Um, so first off, <clears throat> I'm all over social media. You can find me. It's just when you look for Jeff Cohen, you're going to come up with about 2 million of us. So search for <laughs> Carnival. Right. It's a popular name. What can I say? Um, yep. As witnessed by your first name. Uh, but if That's you right. go to countonable.com, it's right there on the screen, C-O-U-N-T-O-N-A-B-L-E.com. Um, I have all of the forms and resources that are in the book are downloadable. The first chapter of the book is downloadable there. And if you really want to take it on and want to figure out, is this something you want to dive a little deeper into? I've got a link right there. You can click and uh, put yourself on my calendar or someone from my team to talk to about like what's it actually take to shift from a organization where the culture is not really working and people don't own what they do to one where they can take pride and say you can count on me yeah yeah very good well jeff man i really appreciated our time you know uh, i'll, I'll kind of start where or end where we began on the foster thing because i think it's just so so incredible and it's such a joy when my guests bring their passion forward like that and then are, are living it right it's it's one thing to talk about it. it's one thing to talk about creating a unique why in the home and family happiness but you're taking that to the next level and i just appreciate the heck out of you for doing it uh even though you're on the other side of the country in uh, in los angeles hey you know maybe someday uh, that little girl, that mother ends up in Pennsylvania where I live and vice versa. Hopefully the people I impact in our community can can do the same on the other side of the country because that's that's really where our focus needs to be as business owners. We're, we're the people that can move and shake this world. Uh, we need to choose to do it in a good way. And I love, that. I love that you're doing that, man. I really, really do. Appreciate well, the really heck out of you for the space that you created with me today. And I just really yeah. want to thank you for for having it be safe like i could say anything for your audience yeah. yet and um and thank you for really acknowledging like the difference that we get to make for people because that's why we do this i'm clear 100 yeah and if it and if you're not actively choosing to make that space you really should spend some time on why that is and then and find that thing that maybe you just haven't found that thing you're that gets your get your gears going right yeah. you know but it's important. Take that time to go make it because uh, you've just heard an amazing example of somebody doing that. So, Jeff, man, this has been a great show. Love the time with you today. I hope you watching, you listening have enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see you next time on, uh, on The Big Ticket Life. Take care. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own Big Ticket Life. And now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.thebigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what is impossible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat, in your business, away from commodity and away from competition, into a market of one, so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today, where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors, that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped 
into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift. Book your call. Go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.